Greetings, Crosspoint Church family and friends of Crosspoint. It's my great pleasure today to introduce to you our guest speaker. But before I do that, let me give you just a brief gear up update. This gear up that we've been talking about now for two or three weeks is not just a, a gear up for the fall, it's for the future. And it's not just for cross pointers, it's for folk out there who need to hear the life transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Our goal, as you've heard stated before, perhaps is $20,000, and our cash in hand uh, to date is rate just under $15,000. And, and pledges on top of the cash received makes it somewhat higher than that. And we've already ordered some of the gear. And so if you're one of the pledgers, we uh, urge you to get it in soon. The sooner that the, you get your pledge in, the sooner we can order the rest of the gear that we need. And there's still an opportunity for you to be involved and to help us out. We'd love to see every Crosspoint Church family step up and help us. Would you talk about it with your family and pray about it and consider a gift? And I remind you, we are all in this together. Dr. H.C. Wilson is my oldest friend. And when I say oldest, I don't mean the oldest in age, for he's a bit younger than I am. By my oldest friend, I mean we have been friends for over 70 years. He has been a pastor, a church planter, a district superintendent of a district in the Wesleyan Church, once in the Deep South. He's been our district superintendent here in the Atlantic District. And he's been a general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church. He is a premier preacher in the Wesleyan Church and has been for over 50 years, perhaps the premier preacher. But the most delightful news, I believe, for you today is that he's a native cross pointer. His dad died when he was about 10 years of age. His dad at the time was pastoring just down the road from here at Corbett Avenue Wesleyan Church. And he and his mom moved here to this town. So he grew up right here as part of this church. And it's my great pleasure to introduce to you this morning my good friend, Dr. H.C. Wilson. It's my great privilege to be with you and have an opportunity to share with you as we continue a series on great Bible stories. But first, let's think a minute about COVID-19. Until rather recently, this was a term we never had heard tell of, and oh, perhaps a month and a half ago or so, on Facebook, there was a list of questions that were prepared, and it was requested or recommended that parents would ask these questions to their young children record their addresses and keep them for posterity's sake and maybe to remind their children a little later. In a church where I recently pastored, three of the young children in that church were asked these questions by their parents. These children were, two of them were four years of age and one was six, three young lads. And these were a sample of the questions and the responses. 
One question was, this is asked to a young boy whose name was Chase, six years old. Where's the first place you want to go? And Chase said, maybe somewheres to eat like Subways because we've been stuck in this house for months. Another child who was only four, Finn was his name, said, what do you think we can do to get rid of this virus? And he said, I don't know, maybe a rocket launcher. And to show he'd been listening to his parents when they said you should wash your hands frequently, he was asked if you had to wear clothing to help you, what would it be? And he said water and soap. And his little friend Garrett, who was also only four, was asked, how did this virus start? And Garrett said, bad people. And then the last question, which frankly is the one I liked the most, Garrett was asked, who is the prime minister? He's four years old. And he said, let's not talk about that. And so we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul for our Bible story of today to set some background for us. The never-ending drama of the life of the Apostle Paul was grinding toward a conclusion as his ministry was soon going to be terminated by being transferred to Rome. He had been arrested by a governor named Felix, and after a high priest had come from Caesarea and charged Paul with being a rather difficult person. In fact, this uh, uh, official from Caesarea said about Paul, we have found this man time and again disturbing the peace, stirring up the riots against Jews all over the world, the ringleader of the seditious sect called Nazarenes. He's a really bad apple, I must say. We caught him trying to defile our holy temple. And Paul had been placed under relatively relaxed house arrest for a couple of years until Felix was replaced by another governor named Porteus Festus, and Paul appealed to him to be sent to Rome on trial, as was his right as a Roman citizen. And so they set out for Italy. Paul and a whole party were under the command of a Roman centurion whose name was Julius, an officer over 100 soldiers. He was pretty favorably inclined toward Paul. And when they stopped at a place called Sidon, he even allowed Paul to go and visit some of his friends in that place. The onward travel was slow and difficult and they faced contrary winds much of the way. Finally, they arrived at a port called Fair Haven and Paul suggested they winter there as it was now past the autumn solstice. But the captain and the owner of the ship disregarded Paul's instruction or hopes and they hoped to arrive then so they sailed on hoping to go to a place called Phoenix on the island of Crete and winter there. They left under a gentle breeze that soon turned to hurricane force winds and nor'easter, the scripture calls it, sounds like they might have been maritimers, and seeking to lighten the ship, they threw the cargo overboard. They trussed the ship with ropes, hoping to hold her together, and in the midst of it all, Paul gave them a pep talk that basically said, do not lose courage. The storm lasted without abatement for two weeks, and finally, as it began to slow a bit, the ship was blown into shallow water. The crew dropped anchors off the stern, four of them in all, but the wind drove her toward a sandbar, and the crew really had no idea where they were. Some of the crew tried to abandon the ship and leave the rest of their fate, but they were prevented from doing so by the captain. 
There were 276 people on this vessel, and after meeting of eating a full meal on the 15th day of the storm, they threw the remaining grain overboard. The ship was run aground, and the soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners to keep them from escaping, but Julius prevented their proposed massacre. All hands abandoned ship, with the swimmers leaving first, followed by the others holding on to planks and debris from the ship as she was breaking up. They all arrived safe and sound, but soggy and shaken on the stores, shores of a strange and unknown place. And all of these details, ladies and gentlemen, are in the Bible, in the book of Acts. I didn't make them up. It's the stuff of a good movie. And the Bible says in Acts 28 that once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Malta is an island, as you would know, in the center of the Mediterranean. It came under Roman domination in 218 BC, and the official history of Malta says in AD 60, the islands were visited by St. Paul, who was said to have been shipwrecked on the shore of what is now aptly named St. Paul's Bay. But really, Malta was a waypoint on their GPS. They weren't headed to Malta, they were headed to Rome, where Paul would be on trial and ultimately would be a martyr to the cause. He was on a journey that would lead to his death. Partway through the story that I referenced just a moment or two ago, there is a verse that says, in part, much time had been lost and sailing had become dangerous because by now it was, the, it was after the autumn equinox. This is the only verse in the NIV version of the New Testament where the word dangerous appears. But Paul was no stranger to danger. Second Corinthians, we read these words, I have constantly, this is Paul speaking, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Most of us, folks, is it not true, however, want to live safely, not live dangerously, understandably so. I believe Paul would have preferred a safe life to the one he experienced. And safe is a word we almost always use in conjunction with something else. We speak of safe conduct, safe house, safe deposit, safe keeping, safe cracker, safe guard, safety belt, safety glass, safety match, safety razor, safety valve, and in North America, safe religion. May me and my wife, my son John and his wife, we four and no more. May we always be warm, well-fed, clothed, employed, respected, protected, and out of trouble. We're Christians after all. Or can I get a tax receipt for this gift? Please keep us healthy and, if possible, wealthy and grant us journeying mercies as we travel. But if I talk to them about their sin, they might leave the church. I would never let my kids go on a mission trip. It isn't safe. 
It's safer to be careful and inclusive and never be too radical. It's safer and more sensible to pursue a career than to answer a call. And so we have this concept of safety and living dangerously that seem to be colliding in a way. And where did we get the idea that serving Jesus was safe? In this C-19, COVID-19 world where the world has been upended and things we never saw six months ago goes back to February till today. We had no idea we'd be experiencing what we are experiencing. And now one of our operative questions surely must be, what next? And so I want to offer a short acrostic on the word safety. Four points that will help you know when the end is coming. The S is safety is about the destination, not the journey. It's about where we're going, not where we are. It's about safety of the spirit, not safety in every situation. In John's gospel, we read, I'm not asking you, this is Jesus speaking to his father. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe, but not safe from the pandemic or not safe from those who don't like evangelicals much anymore, to keep them safe from the evil one. Ladies and gentlemen, we face an almost irresistible force to focus on the journey. The journey is uncertain and the hazards of travel are changing as we move through life. And if Satan, the enemy of our soul, can keep us overly focused on the here and now and not on the then and there, casualties are bound to occur. But hear this, there never was a promise of a safe journey, only of a safe arrival. The ultimate destination of the fully devoted follower of Christ is both certain and safe. The journey, however, the journey may be smooth or bumpy, pleasant or horrific, glorious or gruesome, first class or cattle class. But the journey is not the deal. The destination is the deal. I served the church internationally for a number of years and one time while I was in India, I went to visit one of our churches there and the pastor was bandaged and covered with um, obvious medical care had been applied to him. And I asked what happened to this young man and was told that he had gone down to a street corner in his city a couple of days before that and was handing out scripture portions on the street corner to any who had received them. And some radical Hindus had come along and took exception to what he was doing and beat him severely till he had to be taken to the emergency facility to be patched up. And then I was, so I respected him for all of that only to discover that the very next day he had gone back down to the same street corner to pass out scripture portions to those who would take them because he understood it wasn't about the journey, it was about the destination. Justin Martyr, who was executed for his faith in 165 AD, said to his interrogator, and you, you can kill us, but you cannot hurt us. So folks, it's not about ignoring the journey. We're a part of it and have to be a part of it, but we will stay safer, as it were, if we look beyond the journey and keep the destination out in front of us. Always, safety is about the destination, not the journey. The A of safe is to adopt and live by a radical minimum standard. 
adopt and live by a radical minimum standard. Our son has the middle name of a Baptist preacher from the 19th century. His middle name is Spurgeon. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon, after whom he is named, said one time, let each person find out what God wants them to do and then let them do it or die in the attempt. Romans 12:1 from the Amplified New Testament says this, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Living sacrifices is what other versions call it. And then tell us that it's our reasonable service, not extraordinary or unusual or heroic, just ordinary, routine, expected, a radical minimum standard. It's a dangerous thing to do if you're only focused on the journey Hear this, self-preservation is the first law of nature, but self-sacrifice is the highest rule of grace. And so the natural tendency is to protect ourselves. But the highest rule of grace comes to play. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, whose name would be familiar to you, executed by the Nazis in April 1945, he said, when Christ calls a person, he bids them come and die. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that's the highest of all radical standards. But a radical standard doesn't start there. A radical standard in our everyday life starts with a simple little chorus that some of us learned in Sunday school or youth group a long time ago. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, <laughs> the journey behind me, the destination in front of me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. No turning back. Safety is about the destination, not the journey. Adopt and live by a radical minimum standard. The F of safe is for, uh, forge alliances with kindred spirits. Forge alliances with kindred spirits. One candle is better than total darkness. We all know that. But two candles together more than double their individual power. There's just something about an alignment of kindred spirits. On another trip to India at another time in the northeastern part of the country, two district superintendents from the United States and the Wesleyan Church were traveling with me. And we had to have armed escort from the airport in Imphal down to the church in Chiroxampur where we were spending several days. An armed vehicle in front of us and behind us with guys standing up behind 20 caliber machine guns in the back of pickup trucks and all of those kind of things. Not supposed to stop. On the way back up to the airport, one of the vehicles in our little procession broke down and immediately the soldiers bailed out of the vehicles, got on either side of the road with their weapons at the ready, facing out into the jungle beside us because there was a lot of insurrectionist activity in the area. And myself and my two traveling companions were sitting in the back seat of a taxi car, an ambassador as they called it. And we decided together, if we die here, 
Who knows who will know that this actually happened to us, but far better to die with a kindred spirit than to be by yourself. And I came away from, obviously I didn't get killed, clearly, but I came away from that experience with a renewed appreciation for kindred spirits, those who share belief in common on the things that really matter. Every group of believers has a few persons in it who understand clearly that the journey is secondary and the destination is primary. Find out who those people are and build relationships with them. Alliances of spirit and agreements on the principle of living by a minimum standard are far more important than whether you cheer for the same hockey team or baseball team, or even if you agree on doctrinal matters or denominational structures. Find a kindred spirit or two. It may require some alignment of your relationships, but there's great strength. Please hear this. There's great strength in the common bond that fully devoted followers of Christ experience. It will hold you, ladies and gentlemen, it will hold you when the marginally committed fair weather types run off and hide. So safety is about the destination, not the journey. Adopt and live by a radical minimum standard. Forge alliances with kindred spirits and the E is endure, endure. George Fox, the early leader of the Quaker movement, once said, in the mighty power of God, go on. Tucked away in Hebrews 11 when referring to Moses is the fascinating little phrase, he endured. The NIV says he persevered. The Living Bible said he kept right on going. The New English Bible said he was resolute. And Moffat's quaint translation said he never flinched. When Christ was facing his horrific torture and death, the Bible says he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. Endurance is the key trait of those who are destination focused. Having what it takes to live dangerously is really about being safe. Safety is about the destination, not the journey. Adopt and live by a radical minimum standard. Forge alliances with kindred spirits and endure. There is a story familiar perhaps to many of you, but in an overseas setting, some young boys one day went to the village wise man. And one of these young boys, the leader of the group, had a young bird in his hand behind his back. He said to the old wise man, is this bird in my hand dead or alive? intending, if the old man said, alive, to crush it in his hand and give it to him dead. Or if the old man said, dead, then to set it free and let it fly away. And they thought, we have the old wise man trapped now. What will he say? Is this bird in my hand dead or alive? And the old wise man of the village, indicating or showing why he was the old wise man, looked at the young boys and said, it is just as you wish it to be. So my question to you, ladies and gentlemen, will you be safe and live dangerously? Will you be safe and live dangerously? It is just as you wish it to be. Be safe, live dangerously.